And then we're going to jump around a few more places because we see how Jude actually interacts with a few uh, other scriptures. Jude chapter 1, because why? There's only one chapter. It's 21, 25 verses. There's only one chapter. Let's just jump into it. Reads like this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I am very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So let's just ask a couple questions to start about just the context and what he's writing. And then let's just get into the meat of of what he's what he says. And once we jump into that meat, I mean, this is really what he's talking about through the full book, uh, through the letter, as we'll see over the next four weeks. This is written in around 65 AD. Uh, and the reason scholars kind of land on that, and there's a little debate, about a 20-year period that I think scholars say it could have been written, somewhere around 60 to 80 um, AD. And, and the reason for that is the way it correlates with some of the other books, specifically Second Peter and the correlation and the connection and the parallels that are drawn there. It would seem like that either Second Peter was written and then this was written along with it with the same themes that were going on at the same time or the other way around. Jude written first and then Peter used this uh, as, as well to write some of his letters. Don't know for sure what that is, but it would seem, and most scholars agree, that we're in about that time. Why is that significant that, that it's in that time? Because this is pretty fresh. If you're thinking about 30 to 35 years after Jesus ascended up into heaven, that's when this is being written about. Eyewitnesses to Jesus still alive, still sharing this, still can testify and verify what is being written here as well. We get just a little bit of glimpse of, of Jude's life, not much really at all, um, but it's commonly understood that Jude came to the faith after Jesus' ascension up into heaven. Um, now, we find in that very first verse, if you take a look at verse 1a, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, we learn something by that right away. The brother of James, James, we know it's clearly said in Scripture that James was a brother of Jesus Christ. So we find that Jude is a brother of Christ as well. Now, what we don't know is if that is a straight brother from Joseph or if Joseph maybe, because we don't get a lot in Scripture about him, passed away. Maybe Mary had a a, a different husband later down the road. Uh, Maybe a relative of Joseph, as was custom of the time. But Jude is a brother as well, half-brother at least is what we find out there. Now, he could have started a letter that way, right? Sometimes in our pride, we would have started about, listen, my brother's Jesus, so listen up. Um, but we find he chooses a more humble uh, approach here to share. We also get this word servant of Jesus Christ. Now, this word is used a lot of different ways. In fact, if I took your translations this morning, probably we find at least three different common uses or common words to describe this. The word servant, like you see right here in the New International Version, the word bondservant shows up a lot, or the word slave shows up. Now, let me make sure you understand what this term bondservant would mean, and Paul uses it as well. It actually means 
somebody who serves because one chooses to serve. That's what we're calling, calling this servanthood here. That's how they're describing it. So they're not describing it in terms of, I was taken captive and I was forced now to do this against my will. There's certainly some of that, that imagery of being taken captive by Christ that Paul uses. But we find here that it, it's this choice. It's saying, I have discovered who Christ is. I have discovered the way. And I'm going to put myself in servitude to that because I would say from here on out, I want to surrender all of me to Jesus Christ. And that's how this term servant is used and how it comes up here. Certainly, uh, the word slave brings up images more of like our American history and the slavery times and things that we would fight against. And this would be a different use of that word here when we're talking about the word servant. Maybe for you, you can remember the day where you chose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Last week, we actually talked about these different chairs. And I would say that in a first chair, Christian would say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. A second chair, Christian would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's times where I'm not, I'm not going to serve if it doesn't suit me very well. I'm not going to follow Christ in that, in that way. And they wrestle with that. Then we get the second half of the first verse. It says, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept in, for Jesus Christ. Now, this sounds like just a, a common greeting, and to a degree it is, but don't skip past those words too quick. These should be words of hope. They certainly were at the time. It would be like, you know, me greeting you and saying, you know, like, hey, Patrick, how's it going? You know, hey, how's your mom doing? Or how's your dad doing? How's your family doing? How's, you know, this kind of, kind of, you're getting in and you're making kind of a personal connection, you know. Um, and he said, oh, good, by the grace of God. And I said, oh, the grace of God is wonderful, isn't it? That is kind of this entry talk to a conversation, and that is what Jude is doing. But there's significance in these words that you're called. Like he's actually saying, look, that you have purpose and meaning and value in your heavenly father. And that's significant for the people that are hearing this. I mean, there, many of these people, these Christians, you know, it's not like they're right there in the hub of Christianity. They're out scattered all over the place. And Christianity's new. There's things they're battling and facing. And to be reminded of their purpose and their value in God is significant. You might need that this morning, just to be reminded that you have value, you have purpose, like God has called you. It's like he speaks your name, you know, when he calls out, and that you're loved, the reminder. Now, today, we use the word love all the time, right? I mean, we, we kind of talk in terms of love everybody, and love's a very, very popular phrase, especially uh, in, our, in our day and age. Now, it would not have been at this time. This concept that everyone is loved or that you would express love, especially to people that you saw below you in either an official or unofficial caste system, you wouldn't speak words of love. But Jesus certainly did. When Jesus says something like, for God so loved the world, they knew what he was saying, loved everyone. When John writes about love, and he uses this phrase that's only used once in the Bible, it's never been uttered this way before, and God, John actually writes, God is love. This love talk was very unique the way it was used. And so for him to remind people they are loved, they're cared for in that way, very significant. And you're kept. You're kept for Jesus Christ, meaning that, hey, I didn't just say, hey, I love you, and then, you know, I'm off. Figure it out. 
but you're kept, you're provided for. Like, like there is this ongoing connection in Christ. Yes, he ascended, he's in heaven, and they were probably still getting their head around what that meant. How do I be in Christ when he's in heaven? But the reminder of who Christ is and the provision and you're being kept and cared for in Christ. Then these common phrases in verse 2 that we find from the letters of Paul, if you've ever read some of those letters in the Bible, he constantly, grace and peace, grace and peace to you. In fact, 38 times in some way, shape, or form, Paul actually says grace and peace throughout his letters. Jude picks up on this, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. What's he declaring? These are key components of the Christian life. These are key components that when Jesus says that I'll give you life and life to the full, in here is mercy, God's mercy, God's peace, even when it doesn't seem like it should be there, and love that he offers us. Notice uh, uh, one of the components in there of the Christian life is not easy, smooth selling life. Doesn't show up in there. In fact, he's about to get in to something that's going on in the church or among believers that is not smooth, easygoing life. So let's just look at it. He says, verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, hey, I really wanted to write to you about salvation. Like, that's, that may have been, like, for Jude, like, the key topic. That was, you know, like, his go-to. Like, I remember from seminary and then when I did my, my first youth pastor stint for, oh, for the first five or six years, like, my go-to book of the Bible was always the book of Acts, like, I just love the book of Acts. I love the spreading of the church. I love that they went out and shared the gospel. I love that they put it in the context of, of the people that they went out and shared it with. So I'm always going to it. And I had one counselor or one of my leaders who used to always kind of kind of poke fun at me for the book of Acts. And so she would, I would say, all right, if you would turn, and she goes, to the book of Acts, because I was just drawn to it. I, that may have been how Jude was. He's drawn to this topic. It's central. Our salvation in Jesus Christ. Makes sense. That should be a central topic. That should bring us great joy and desire to share it with people. But I felt compelled to write to you and urge to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. But there's another thing I need to remind you of. There's something more pressing right now that I need to talk to you about. And I need to put that even before the thing that's kind of my go-to and my knee-jerk and my thing that I'm most passionate about, and I want to share it with you. For the rest of this book, he is going to share with you the issues, encourage the Christians in the middle of the issue, and then as he leaves and closes the book, he's going to bless Christians as he signs off and says goodbye. It would be like if you sat down with your son or daughter going through uh, something, and you say, hey, I want to bring something to your attention. And then you shared what that thing was. And then you had a little bit of hard conversation with your kid. And then you say, hey, we can get through this. We can do this. And you encourage them. And then at the end of the conversation, you, know, you, you do some loving parent thing. You know, in our household, kind of at the end, there's, they just know dad's going to make some little kind of joke. You know, and we're going to kind of leave it in a little bit of, of laughter. Maybe that doesn't work in your family. For us, it works just fine. That's the flow of what Jude will do the rest of this book, encouraging them in this thing. So what's the purpose of this book? We just found it in that verse, verse 3. Take a look at it again. It is contend for the faith. Contend. You know what a contender is? Like, it's somebody who has a shot to win, so if you're a contender for the title, we say in like boxing or sports like that, then you have a shot 
at winning the title, winning the belt or something like that. You're a contender. You know, obviously, I'm into baseball. You might be into another sport that has standings in different teams. And you'd say, are they a contender this year? Yeah, they're a contender. They could do it. Nah, not really a contender this year. Like, we know exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, they're all going to play. They're all going to battle. They're all going to fight. They're going to play the game, whatever, that kind of stuff. But are they a contender? Well, Judah's saying contend for the faith, and he actually means something very specific when he says this. It comes from this, this Greek word, epagonizumeus, and this is what it means, struggle against to overcome. So like if you came up to me and said, uh, how are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm kind of struggling, just kind of struggling. That may not, that doesn't quite catch what this word means. We all have those times, right? We're just kind of struggling, life hits us a little bit, you know. This is actually, if you think in terms of you're struggling with that goal in mind, you know, with that thing that you're, you're battling to obtain. You go on a hike, right? And you're on your way up the hike, and it, it's a little rocky or a little steeper or, or much longer than you thought, right? But you're like, I think I can see the top there. Like, I only see sky above that. Now, we're always wrong a couple times, right? We get to there, and then, oh, goodness gracious. You know, it's just how God designed that, that to look. But that is what we're talking about here. You struggle to overcome. I'm going to make it. I'll get to the top here. You fight through it. We tell that to our kids often, right? You know, like, hey, don't give up. You know, don't give up. Fight through it. Struggle through this. That is kind of what he's talking about, contend. Contend for what? Contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. Now, you got to know, always when he's talking about faith, always when that shows up, they're talking about the declaration and claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he is the salvation for the world, and he is the one way, truth, and life. That's what they mean when they say faith. They don't mean I believe in God. We hear that a lot, right? You know, hey, do you, you know, you still believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. They, they mean exactly what I just said. Contend for that. Struggle for that. Fight for that is what he's saying here. Well, what's he getting at here? What's really the problem that's entering in with this faith? Take a look at it in verse 4, in the verse 4a to start. For certain individuals who, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Hmm. You've got, you know, wolves in the hen house here is what he's saying. That somewhere through a, slide, a side door, some sneaky little way, the garage was left open, the window was left up a little, they have slipped in among you. Now, what's Jude saying here is, like, nobody walks in and says, all right, here's what I'm going to do in the church today or among the believers here as he's writing, I'm about to blow this thing up with new beliefs. Like we know, we right away we would reject that, right? We'd say, no, you're not. We don't believe those things. Jude describes what's happening here. We actually find in First Peter, it, well, our Second Peter it was happening, and I think if we didn't stretch ourselves too far, we would see it actually happens in our contemporary culture as well. It's a subtle slip in the door of new thought, a subtle slip and a subtle belief in kind of something that actually challenges the true gospel or adds to it or takes away from it just a little bit. So he's saying, hey, there's individuals that have come in 
And it says, whose condemnation was written about long ago. Now, let me just give you a, a quick word on that, that condemnation. Because sometimes when we see that, we say, oh, they've already been, you know, sentenced to hell. You know? Maybe. But in this verse, what it means, that condemnation is simply this, by definition, being declared as wrong. So what Jude is saying is there are certain individuals that are going to bring in these type of thoughts about the gospel that are contrary to the gospel. And guess what? Already, long ago, those were declared wrong. So don't entertain those. Don't buy into those. They've already been declared wrong. Condemnation, condemnation has already been placed on those thoughts, and they've secretly slipped in among you. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand outside its bounds. That's sneaky. Now, what is it saying here? Is that, listen, if there is a, an attack on the church, if there's an attack on the gospel, right, that probably it's not going to come because there's out, those people outside of the faith are living something and declaring something totally different. It's always been that way. If there's going to be an attack, a successful attack on the faith of Jesus Christ, it'll come from within. It'll come because somebody slipped in the door here or there. That's what Jude is declaring here. So why is this so important to combat? Why is Jude saying, hey, I wanted to write about this, but I wrote about this instead. Why is this so important to him? Here's one thing. Jesus loves his church. No matter what you might think of the contemporary church, if you're listening online and like maybe for you online, you're watching online because you struggle even being at church, but watching from a distance is a little easier right now. I just want to remind you, Jesus loves his church. We're imperfect. We are, the church down the street is, the church in the next country is, we're all imperfect. But Jesus loves his church. He loves that the church can function like he designed the church to function and that we can bring, he said it, we can bring hope to the world through the church. He loves the church. So that's why this is important. Why not just say, you know, hey, you know, to each his own. You do you, I'll do me. Judah's saying that doesn't work in the church world. That we rally together around Jesus Christ. Now, here's a contemporary commentary. We have rallied often in the contemporary church around the wrong thing. We've rallied around the music style. We've rallied around the preaching style. We've rallied around, you know, what is the production of the Sunday morning service? How long does that service last? He preaches how long now? We have rallied around these things that I thank God in heaven when he looks down and we say, you know, I'm going to move on because of that God just goes, oh, brother, goodness, what? Because what we really want to rally around what Jude is saying is Jesus, the faith, the gospel, the declaration of who Jesus is. That is what we rally around. That's why this is so, so important. Take a look at, at Acts. I said we jump a <laughs> Acts, I'm sorry. Take a look at the book of Acts. It's not my go-to. Verse 28, chapter 20, verse 28, take a look at this, and you'll see this is like, this is a common issue that's going on in the church of the time. Here's what's written. Keep watch over yourself. Paul's the one talking. Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who's he talking to here? Pastors, church leaders here. Now, keep watch over these, right? Be a... 
be shepherds of the church of God, which he has, brought, he has bought with his own blood. I mean, look at how he declared. Jesus has bought the church with his blood. So you look after them. Be shepherds of them. It's almost like Paul is, this is one more of his like statements we've talked about in the past. Just like Christ did, you do. Look after them because Christ died on the cross for his church. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. Now, Paul took a lot of battles and struggles on, and there's probably people who are like, we can't get past that Paul guy. You know, we got to get, once he's gone, then we'll come in with the attack. That's what he's saying there. But look at this, verse 30. Even from your own number, men will rise, arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He's saying, look, even pastors, church leaders, overseers, shepherds, even they will come in and distort the gospel. So what is the solution? He says, be on your guard. Keep watch. Look out for this. Be protectors. Contend for the faith. Contend for the gospel is what he's saying here, to stay close. Because Christ loves his church. He died for his church. This is actually predicted that this would happen. If you jump back to Jude, Jude chapter, excuse me, 1, it's, it's always 1. Verse 17, Jude says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said this in advance. They said to you, in the last times, don't get hung up on last times. This is not apocalyptic talk in this passage. That last times means in later days. Right? Some of your translation will even say it just that way. In last times, there will be scoffers who, tend, who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now, listen to what he's saying there. He said, look, they will actually be people who are leading and guiding and speaking and have a platform. Who's he talking to? Believers, the church. He's not out there in the marketplace. And he's saying they will speak things that will distort the Gospels, but guess what? They don't have the Spirit. The Spirit is not leading and guiding them. So this is foretold. 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, 1 through 3. Now, Peter gets into it in the whole chapter, of verse, or chapter 2 of 2 Peter, but we'll only read three verses. But there were also, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping." And he knows Peter's speaking against this exact thing that Jude is talking about. Be on guard. There will be people that right within and among the believers will distort the gospel. So who are these people that are doing this? I mean, what are these people doing exactly? Jude actually tells us. Take a look at verse 4b. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and, and Lord. So they're doing two things. One, it says they are perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. They are basically taking God's grace, and they are changing the definition of God's grace so that they can do whatever they want to do. 
and live however they want to live. I know, like right away, our, our, our common knee jerk, our thought is, oh, that's our world today. That's what's happening in our world today. He's not talking to our world. He is talking and writing specifically to believers, to something that's happened inward, in among the believers, among the church. Now, he doesn't identify a church at the beginning, but among the believers is who he's talking about, changing grace. One of the common thoughts is Paul actually addressed this. It was people actually believing, I can go out and sin or I can do whatever I want to do. Why? Because, this is the phrase, God's grace abounds. Basically, it means this, is I can do whatever because God will forgive me. He'll forgive me afterwards, so I'm good. It's fine. Paul says, no way. That's my paraphrase. But Paul says, you know, no, that's not how it works. That cheapens grace. And so Judah's actually speaking to this here, that they're distorting grace. God offered his grace to bring us salvation, something we could not do on our own, and to bring transformation to your life in a way that you couldn't do on your own, to design you into something that you could be for his kingdom that you couldn't do on your own. That's the grace of God. Anything else is a distortion is what He's saying. Also, he says they're denying Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior. Now, we hear this a lot outside the church walls, things like, well, there's lots of different ways. Christianity, that's great. If that's great for you, there's lots of different ways. But what he is saying here is it's sneaking its way into the church, where they're saying this is a great way, Jesus, you know, good teacher, you know, like, I don't think he was really divine. He was human, or he was all divine and God. He was never really human. That that belief was floating around as well. But they were denying that he was the only sovereign, the only Lord. And that, and that sneaks its way into our church, into believers. We have a problem. Now, in current days, we don't, we don't necessarily come in and say, yeah, in the church, Jesus is a way. You know, but there's other ways. What we do is we do like a second chair Christian did last week. We declare Jesus is the way. But we also live like I'm the way, and we declare myself and what I'm thinking or the, the last thing that seemed logical or right to me, and we try to somehow mesh these two together, God's way or my way, as if we can live in that functions. The Bible tells us, we talked about it last week, that house divided can't stand. So here's the takeaway this morning. When we look at this and we start to think about practical implications, we're going to see those the next two Sundays in particular. We're going to see how this actually parallels things we're dealing with. But here's what I want to do in a way of preface, then share with you a passage, and then ask one simple question. I want to give you a little preface to look at the next few weeks. Jude describes this as actual people that are coming into the church, and this was happening. These were blunt attacks from people that were denying the gospel. And they would come in and they would basically say, you got it all wrong, you didn't hear right, what Paul was preaching was blasphemy, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was direct. I don't see that the same in today's church. In fact, I've been here almost 10 years. January will be 10 years here at the church. And I've met just about everybody that comes through the door that sticks on for a little bit, and I've had some form of personal relationship with just about every single person. And in 10 years, I've never known anyone who has come in that I would describe, you know, they came in, but they had a secret agenda to infiltrate the church. 
and to distort the gospel and to turn people away so they would believe something other than just leaning on Christ. And then they snuck away and left. Like I never have anyone that I would describe that way at all. You know how it happens in the contemporary church? We bring it in. You bring it in. I bring it in. We allow ourselves to be influenced by our culture and our society that can't lean on Jesus Christ as their only foundation. At best, they have a mix and match type of model, and we bring that in ourselves. And when we start to claim it and live it out ourselves, that's how it finds its way into the church. And we've so bought into this idea that we can't judge one another, and I believe we can't judge One day we'll talk about what it really means to biblically judge. But we also better not deny the passages where it says that you as a brother or sister in Christ and me as your leader are designed and called to hold each other accountable to the gospel. And when we don't do that, we allow those things to sneak in. We allow those to be commonplace beliefs. When we allow our thoughts on how we have relationships, how we interact with, with sex, how we think about marriages, how we think about forgiveness, how we get, and on and on and on. And when we allow our culture and we bring it in and we say, well, that's, you know, that's not so wrong, that's okay. We do very similar to what Job is speaking about here. Here's the passage that Paul kind of puts it in a very succinct way. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on, listen to this, this is it, human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. You know, I've read that passage so many times, but I read it this week and I was trying to think, how does this parallel with what we're talking about? And you know what really hit me, it never has before in reading this, the word human tradition. And I got to thinking about all the commercials, all the promos. Now, I love sports. Some of you do too. So they always do these little promos in between, you know, or they do a collage of the whole season and things like that. Or maybe it's just a commercial to sell a product. I don't know. But they often rest on this idea that if you would just rise up, find the strength within you and do it, you will overcome. Or if we together, if we could just be together and be on, in unity, we could overcome. Now, do we believe in those themes in the gospel? Absolutely. 100%. Community, absolutely significant. Will you face struggles and do you need to overcome? Absolutely. Paul speaks bluntly about it. But there's a key component that is left out entirely in the ads and the promos, and that is that we rest on the foundation and the strength of Jesus Christ. And when that is not there, we actually subtly, you and I, buy into this humanistic view that humans can overcome and humans are more powerful. And it denies subtly, but it's impactful in our lives, the authority and power of Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit in your life every day. And so guess who you quit going to to make decisions in your life, to overcome You quit going to the Holy Spirit. You quit looking for God. And subtly, without you ever verbally declaring it, you almost can live out a version of Christianity that doesn't really need Christ at all. That is what's being spoken against. Now, today we're going to golf. 
bunch of people from the church that are going out and playing. It'll probably be hack central out there today uh, for us. Um, but I was thinking about the golf club because I've learned this a long, long time ago that this club has what they call loft on it, and it's slanted, right? And I played baseball, no slant, right? You just hit the ball. But the whole design of that slant is that that slant is there to make the ball get in the air. And I remember a golf instructor one time just telling me, you don't have to get the ball in the air. The club is designed to get the ball in the air for you. Just go down and hit the ball, and it'll go. But in my head, and maybe for yours, if, if, you, if you're a golfer, I just always felt I needed to lift it. I needed to help the club. You know, I get down here, and I need to help it along. How else does the ball go so high? And he said, no, the, actually the opposite is true, that if you would actually hit down on the ball, that club is designed with the slant, the loft, to get the ball up in the air. And when you hit down and compress the ball, and you let the slant, the loft, work for you, the ball will actually go further than you could ever do, and higher because of the spin that you put on it. It took me a long time before that made sense. What does it matter to us this morning? I think for us, we have forgotten that the Holy Spirit has designed you. The Holy Spirit is designed to work within you, to live out this life with victory, to live out this life to make impact, to live out this life to share the gospel, or to overcome, if you want to put it in the terms that Jude's talking. But you know what we do a lot is we disregard that, and we just think, oh, human tradition, you know, I'll do human, human way, and we're trying to lift, and we're not using the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is not working through us is the better way to say it, as the Holy Spirit is designed. It still takes your effort. I still have to swing the club. It still takes that I would give and I would work for the kingdom. But the Holy Spirit, what Jesus does in me, when I claim the gospel and live that, that is the way that I really see the impact of what God wants to do. Here's the question. Is there anywhere in your life that you have let anything influence you in a way contrary to God? Is there any way that you have gravitated and latched on to human tradition or, get that phrase, elementary, you know, just basic spiritual forces? Is there any way that you've gravitated and actually bought in or heard that or that just sounds better or, if we're confessing, sounds easier in a way that's contrary to Christ, contrary to God? This would be a thing to identify this morning, to identify it. If not right at this moment, certainly as you're reading Jude every day this week, identify it. Because now it's time to, to take the context of Jude and put it on your own life and ask, how can this practically impact my life? That's the first step. Identify. Is there anywhere in your life that you've let anything influence you in a way contrary to God? When you don't identify that, when you don't let God kind of work into you and transform that, guess where we take it? Right in here. And this is a safe place. I want it to be. But if we're not helping each other along in this and identifying it in your own heart, then there's a, an iron sharpening irons that just doesn't happen. And we just get off track. So I'm going to pray for you now, and uh, I'm going to pray specifically for that. And so would you bow with me, Father? 
just ask, Lord, as your word speaks to us, that if there be anything that we've identified this morning, contrary to your way, any way that we've trusted in that's dependent, as your word says, on human tradition, if there's any way that I'm just trying to lift the ball in the air instead of using the club the way it was designed, Father, would you speak that? Would you make that clear? Father, we want the Holy Spirit to speak, and then we want the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And Lord, often that comes when we're just willing to identify and then say, Lord, transform me. We'll pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this week, uh, two things. One, if there was one thing that you like just identified right there, uh, I'd love to hear about that so I can just be praying for you. I know how it is. It's kind of like, well, I don't want to tell somebody else that. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody to hear it's really hard to hold ourselves accountable on things, right? I mean, I, we've talked about this before. I'm starting another diet tomorrow, you know, because it's Monday, because I can't hold myself accountable ever. So share that with somebody. Share that with myself. One more thing is I know for some of you, when we talk about this grace of God or the grace of the gospel, if you were honest, if you kind of got past your pride of thinking I should know that by now, you might honestly say, I'm not quite sure what that really is. I'm not quite sure how to explain that. I mean, I said yes that I wanted to follow Jesus Christ, you know, at whatever time of your life, but I'm not sure really what we're talking about when we say the grace of God. I would love to sit down and talk to you about that. We can find a spot that, you know, is proper distancing and whatever, all that's proper, but I'd love to sit and talk to you and share with you because when you understand it, it will impact your own Christianity, but you have something to share and I hope to offer someone else as well. Well, let me uh, share a few things that are going on. Our prayer text tomorrow about noon, that'll come out. So make sure you use that. Let us know what we can pray for. And we'd love to do that, lift you up this week. Three ways to give. Uh, you can always give in person here. Now, we're not passing uh, the, the baskets during this time, but you can use the boxes that are in the fellowship hall. Um, or you can mail it into the church. The address is on the church website. Just mail it in, and our treasurer will take it from there and uh, take care of that. Um, or you can use the windoverhills.org give. And that's where... Uh, a healthy percentage of people are using. But uh, go on there and you'll see just drop down menu. You can set up regular giving or one time. All that kind of stuff is on there. Uh, this week's our last ice cream social. Uh, school's kicking off this week for a lot of people, uh, for most everybody else the next week. So within the next week, everybody's going to be cranked up again. So we'll do one more time together Wednesday night. That's at Miso's in High Point. Uh, the youth will have kind of a, a game or at least a, a lesson time uh, there as well at Miso's. And then the youth nights actually kick back up after that. Game nights here outdoor for a while until the time changes and we'll reevaluate uh, what we're doing on that. So, so uh, teens, that'll be going on uh, there uh, as well. You're going to get a small group survey this week. We're just trying to figure out like what will small groups look like? And we're we understand a few people might be comfortable with in-person. Um, <clears throat> our virtual is a possibility. There's probably a healthy number of you that are like, I'm so sick of Zoom, you know, um, and I'm with you. So we're just trying to play with ideas on how we can, can do uh, small groups because this is important. This is good on Sunday morning and you logging in as well. But getting in a group of eight to ten people, that, that's just gold, and that's really significant to your, your Christian growth. And so uh, use that uh, survey and just follow through. That would be great. And then finally, you'll see these boxes that are right up here like this, um, holding it high enough for our at-home audience. 
and we are starting to collect school supplies. We've got about nine weeks for Guilford County opens, and that means Jamestown Elementary, and we just want to load up these boxes and bless them with, with whatever we can. So this week in the email as well, you'll, you'll just see a list of school supplies. Shop for those. Don't go outside that list. That's actually coming to us from Jamestown's elementary, so we know that's what they're asking for, and, uh, and we'll just kind of blow it out of the water with... Uh, with um, um, these boxes being filled up, and we'll take it to them. So, uh, and then we'll hold that stuff to about uh, October when they come off remote learning and go back to school. So, well, the Lord bless you. I hope you have a great day today, and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sabbath. Go bless somebody. <laughs>